A heads up, we're treading into some heavy territory today around one of our society's most taboo subjects. The trauma of child sexual abuse can fundamentally change your personality. There have been huge steps towards exposing the extent of abuse and its harms, but many male survivors especially still struggle to share or even acknowledge what's happened to them. Journalist Shannon Malloy found that sharing can be life-saving not only for the survivor, but also for others who are suffering too. He's explored how his own history shaped the man he became, and he's drawn on stories of other men shared with him too in his new book, You Made Me This Way. Shannon, I'm grateful to you for joining us on Life Matters. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, now, I'm going to give out a few helplines, and I'll give them out again through the course of this discussion. If this conversation brings anything up for you and you need to talk to someone, Brave Hearts provides counselling and support for child sexual abuse. That number is 1800 272 831. That number again, 1-800-272-831. There's also Survivors and Mates Support Network, which helps male survivors and their loved ones. And that number is 1-800-472-676. 1-800-472-676. We'll pop those numbers up on our website and you'll hear them again as we're discussing this with Shannon Malloy. Shannon, what began this journey into your past and made you decide to write a book about it? Well, I guess uh, since I was a little kid, I've always liked to get out of my head and onto a piece of paper what I'm thinking, whether it's something that makes me sad or angry or scared uh, or even happy and overjoyed. Um, And so that's kind of at at its core what led me to start writing about this thing that happened to me when I was five. Uh, And then as I unpacked, uh, I guess, the trauma from, from that age 30 something years ago, um, I realized that so much of who I am uh, sort of stems from that moment uh, and and dealing with a, a therapist, kind of uh, coming up with coping strategies and uh, and unpacking more of that, I realized that so much of, of me, um, the good and the bad, but mostly the bad, uh, kind of comes from from that trauma and, and not dealing with it for so long as well. Well, it's an incredible book, Shannon, you made Thank me this you. way. It's I, I just couldn't get over reading it, how it's full of precision. There's forensic detail in there. There's so much heart and empathy for other survivors. But there's also, as you say, you know, this rage, this whirlpool of emotions visible. And, and that is so useful for people trying to understand the impacts it can have on people's lives. And Shannon, your experience wasn't either the, you know, the largely mythical stranger in the shadows idea or the much more likely trusted adult. How did that affect your ability to process what had happened to you? It was it was really tricky. Uh, so so what happened to me was I was I was five and uh, he was an older boy and and it continued for many years. Um, and it's kind of a, a part of this whole discussion that even those at the the forefront of child sexual abuse don't really know how to deal with when the when the perpetrator is also a child. It makes it a little bit uh, grey, I suppose. Uh, and and the law kind of looks at it in in a opaque way and. And clinicians don't really know uh, how to begin to tackle it. So I felt kind of like a fraud at times that these men I, I met on my journey had experienced, you know, horrific things far worse than me. And, and so part of writing about it was figuring out 
you know, whether I, I viewed this as abuse or not. Um, and it's it's a tricky thing that a lot of other men who who were abused by another child struggle with as well, that line between kids doing, you know, kids things sometimes, exploring and discovering themselves and something a bit more sinister. Uh, and I guess where I landed with that was kind of looking at the power imbalance. You know, he was an older boy. I was young and quite sort of immature, I suppose, uh, and the the coercion and the manipulation that took place. Uh, and so at the end of the book, I kind of uh, landed on that, you know, what happened to me was worthy, I suppose, of, of being a horrible thing, as silly as that sounds. Um, but yeah, that's a small insight into the things that I've grappled with inside my own head for such a long time. Well, and I don't think, I think a lot of people would say, I don't think that's silly, um, because you do detail the impact it's had on you, on your, your personality and your behaviours yeah. and your um, relationships over time. Do you ever wonder how you might have turned out differently if this hadn't happened? What kind of person you might be? All the, all the time. Every day, <laughs> and, right. And a, long, a lot longer before I started writing this book as well, before I went to therapy, I'd sort of constantly find myself sitting there imagining what kind of man I might be if, if this hadn't happened, whether I'd be, you know, happier when I'm meant to be or, or calmer or uh, less sort of angry and frustrated uh, in moments that don't call for it. And the big one for me, which, you know, I still sort of struggle with a little bit, was, was wondering if if this made me gay in some way. Um, you know, I'm a proud gay man and, and I know logically that it didn't. You know, the science tells us that. Um, but there was a small part of me that, that sort of wondered, you know, what if, what if I'd never met this boy that day on the basketball court next to my house? Who, who might I be and might I be happier? Um, it's, it's silly and it, I kind of feel ashamed in some way to even say that out loud. Um, but it is something that I have thought about. And I know that, that other men have as well. And of course, what I discovered in the research, what I discovered talking to so many other men who were sexually abused as boys is that, you know, it doesn't make you gay. Uh, in fact, a number of, of men who were abused are not gay. They're, they're heterosexual and undoubtedly so. And this is just another little tiny uh, nugget of, of the trauma and the shame that that sort of shapes who we are. Um, I think when you're picked up off this path uh, of childhood, which should be carefree and innocent um, and plucked, you know, thrown onto another one that is full of shame and doubt and guilt, um, that that sort of changes your wiring in some way, I think. Well, and that, you know, you write too how uh, some of the male survivors were manipulated by their abusers to think mm. that, um, you know, this was extra shameful because it was gay sex, they were in a yeah. relationship, as opposed to it just being abuse. Um, Shannon Malloy, what other misconceptions do people broadly have still about male survivors of child sexual abuse? I think a big one is that it's it's not that common or it's less common than um, than instances of child sexual abuse against girls. Um, the raw data, you know, tells us that one in five children will be sexually abused, which is horrifying, uh, but that about two thirds of those are girls. Um, but the data doesn't tell a full story. And, and what those who work in this field tell me is that uh, it's probably not quite that wide, the gap between um, boys and girls and that um, and 
and some even feel that it's probably on par. And the difference uh, is that that girls will, many will come forward within sort of several years of being abused and tell somebody and, and be very well supported. Um, some will come forward in early adulthood, um, whereas for men, you know, it's, it's typically about 30 years until they disclose and many, many never tell anybody. They they will go to their grave holding this secret. There are a number of men that I spoke to in my research who I was the first person they were telling. Uh, and, and their feeling is that there's just there's not as much support there's not as much understanding and there's a there's more shame involved in coming forward and talking about what happened to you uh and so i think it's because we kind of think that this mostly happens to girls that that a lot of men don't come forward because they don't feel safe in doing so and so is in your view shannon is it partly a, a factor of these constraining gender rules that we all live under these problematic ideas that you know men are not victims men don't seek help and it's possibly even emasculating to be yeah. a victim Definitely. And I think there's a there's a very Australian uh, element to toxic masculinity. And I'm, I'm hesitant to use that phrase because it's been kind of weaponized politically in, in the past couple of years. But what I mean when I say toxic masculinity is this expectation of men that that they're strong and stoic and, uh, you know, brave and courageous and all of those things are great personality traits to have. But I think many men feel like they can't be anything but that. Uh, they have to be that 24 hours a day and to be vulnerable and, and to need to seek help is kind of frowned upon. Um, and of course, when when men do speak up and ask for help, it's often not there. There are very few dedicated support services for male adult survivors of child sexual abuse. There's very little uh, kind of specialised treatment and care. Uh, and so I think, yeah, there's, there's sort of an expectation of men um, and by men that they just push on and, and cope with it, you know, toughen up. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the ways that they tend to cope with it are extremely unhealthy, whether it's, you know, alcohol and drugs or um, becoming sort of angry and, and terrible to live with. Um, there's relationship issues. There's often work issues where they uh, can't work or can't work um, to the best of their ability. There are higher instances of criminality. Um, there's also a, a really scary link between um, untreated uh, child sexual abuse in adult men and instances of family violence. So this affects a far broader group of people than the men themselves. We're speaking with Shannon Malloy. His book is called You Made Me This Way, and it is a very confronting read, but it's a really useful one too. I, I found myself, Shannon, being surprised, thinking, you know, I, I was girding my loins, I was, I was bracing myself to, to, you know, find it very difficult to read the book. And the stories are so sad and so awful, but it's just such a useful insight into what happens for men and, and what can help them too. Uh, is this segment about familial child sexual abuse or institutional abuse? Well, the book covers a whole range of situations, a really diverse spectrum of situations, just to show how broad it can be. And that's our focus too today. I'll give you those helpline numbers again if this is raising any issues for you. It can be a very difficult thing to hear about, particularly if it affects you personally. Brave Hearts provides counselling and support for child sexual abuse. That number, one 800 272 
1-800-811-831 and Survivors and Mates Support Network helps male survivors and their loved ones. And that number is 1-800-472-676 and you'll find those numbers on our website too. Shannon Malloy is a journalist and the author of this book, You Made Me This Way. Associate Professor Michael Salter is a leader in this field too. He's a Scientia Research Fellow in Criminology at the University of New South Wales, President of the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, and he's Chair of the Grace Tame Foundation. Associate Professor Michael Salter, great to have you with us. Great to be with you. We heard from Shannon before about the difficulties of under-reporting. How firm can we be about the, the gender breakdown and the sheer scale of child sexual abuse? I mean, I think Shannon's, you know, gone over the issues really comprehensively and there's no doubt that child sexual abuse is an epidemic. Uh, and for men, it's an epidemic that really sits at the heart of the public mental health burden, the public health burden that, that men carry in terms of, you know, our mental health, in terms of our physical health. And I think Shannon's done a really good job of touching on some of the really sensitive areas that are difficult to talk about, but you know, recognising that for men who use domestic and family violence, for example, you know, an over, there's an over-representation of those men that have child sexual abuse histories. So, you know, when we don't protect boys from child sexual abuse, but also when we don't support boys to recover from child sexual abuse, we see the personal impacts on them and on their lives. And Shannon's written about that, you know, really viscerally. Um, but we also see the impact on, on society as well. Really interesting text coming in on this. I'll get to some of those in a moment, uh, Michael, and I'll get your views on them. Uh, but is there a, a single... Uh, trajectory that happens for survivors when it comes to the effect on future relationships or or life outcomes, or is it as diverse as the experiences themselves can be? You know, I think Shannon's book really demonstrates how diverse survivors are. They come from diverse backgrounds. Their experiences of abuse are quite different, and then their trajectories from abuse are quite different as well. Um, and really that's shaped by a lot of things, but fundamentally by their environment. You know, for, for boys and men that find themselves in environments where they're listened to, where they're understood, where there's early intervention, where there's support, you know, but unfortunately because abuse is often happening in secrecy um, and boys in particular, you know, don't reach out for help. You know, we live in a society where, you know, the majority of phone calls to kids' helpline, which is set up, you know, to deliver services to kids in crisis, the majority of calls to kids' helpline are from girls. But that, isn't you know, that because the kids have a really realistic understanding of what might happen if they do disclose? I mean, I think that's a really important observation. You know, there is research suggesting that, you know, the majority of kids don't disclose, but some research suggests that for kids who do disclose, in the majority of cases, they're still abused after disclosure because they weren't believed. So, you know, non-disclosure can actually be a very rational decision by children because they don't feel like there's a safe opportunity for them to tell anyone what's happening to them and that they, they are assured of a protective response. So, you know, there's often a focus on disclosure and I understand that and I want kids to disclose, but I think it's the onus and the responsibility is on us as adults to create environments 
Obviously, we're children are safe from abuse, but if they are abused, where they feel safe to tell someone and they can trust that that adult is going to respond appropriately. Well, and the perpetrators, as Shannon outlines and as the research says, are, are really good at insinuating themselves into the family home if they're not there already and making it clear that there will be you know, terrible re- repercussions if the secret comes out. Michael Salter, is there a, a profile of perpetrators? There really is no profile. I mean, child sexual abuse happens in all communities, in all strata of society, you know, all across Australia. Um, Shannon's talked about that grappling with the meaning of peer-to-peer abuse. You know, what does it mean when a minor sexually abuses or engages in sexually harmful behaviour against another child? I think it's really only in the last 10 years that we've come to understand just how serious that form of abuse is. Um, And there's often a misunderstanding in the community that, you know, if one child sexually abuses another child, maybe it's less severe, maybe it's less impactful. In fact, when we look at cases of minors who are engaging in sexually harmful behaviour against other minors, often it is characterised by serious manipulation, serious coercion, sometimes violence, sometimes force. You know, children don't have limits. You know, they're developing you know, restraint, they're developing self-awareness. And so a child who is using sexual violence can be engaged in very, very serious sexual harm against other children. And I think that's also a message we really need to get out there to the community and to survivors. You know, if you've been victimised by another child, that doesn't in some way make what happened to you less serious than if somebody has been sexually abused by an adult. Philip from Cogera sent in a text on this. Was the older boy that your guest mentions himself a similar victim, even of an adult? And some of the things in the book made me wonder that too. Uh, Shannon, that's a question you really mulled over. Does it complicate the the legal and ethical approach to to this kind of abuse in your view? I think uh, in, in my case and certainly in other cases, what became clear is that you know, it, it wasn't a black and white uh, determination that, like all things, there were there were many shades of grey. And and for the boy in in my case, uh, you know, reflecting on the home that he came from, um, I recalled it being very violent. You know, he he. I don't think he was sexually abused, but I think he was subjected to an extraordinary amount of volume and instability, and that that perhaps was his trauma response. Um, I, I've noted that in some of the research that I came across as well. Um, I, I think that, yeah, we're, we're both victims in some way. Uh, and that was difficult in itself to, to kind of ponder because, you know, he suddenly wasn't this monster that I could um, attribute all of my, my blame to. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of other men grapple with too. Um, it just it all comes back to... to kids being in an unsafe uh, place and there not being enough support for them. Well, Shannon, was there anything that might have made it possible for you to speak up when you were a child about what was happening to you? When you look back, do you think, you know, was there a situation you could envision where you did feel safe enough to do that? I think so. I think, you know, it was a very different time for starters. It was the end of the 80s, start of the 90s, and we just did not talk about these things Mm. at all. But we also didn't talk in general about the body and how it works and what what 
you know, what sex is and what's appropriate and what's not. Um, and the Morecams have done incredible work in this space. Daniel um, Morecams' parents. parents of yeah. Daniel Morecam, yeah. Um, going into schools and talking to kids about, you know, this. if this happens to you, it's not okay. It's not your fault, um, but it's, it's not okay and you should speak up. Empowering kids with the awareness of themselves and their bodies so that they do feel safe to speak out. Because while I didn't understand what was happening, I knew one thing without doubt that it was very very wrong but I felt that it was my fault and I'd get in trouble if I told anyone um, I think for a number of kids that's still the case even though we've come so far in educating kids uh, I think that many would still not understand what's happening to them and that it's wrong but it's not their fault uh, I think the other thing that that needs a lot of work is educating parents too uh, or adults in general to recognize the warning signs and and know how to respond uh, and then what to do after that point yeah uh, Michael mentioned it before but you know, early intervention is very successful um, with children. Um, treatment in general uh, is successful, but early intervention is critical. We had our school's um, body safety information session the other night for parents, and it was really confronting just having to think about what this was trying to prevent. But it was I was so grateful that our children and we were being offered this because, as you yeah. say, Shannon, there was nothing in the 70s and 80s and 90s for parents who wanted to put some protective behaviour in place and kids who wanted to know what was going on. Yeah. Associate Professor Michael Salter, if a child does trust us enough to, to tell us about something that's happened to them, what is the best course of action? What should we do? You know, I think in the first instance, you know, non-judgmental listening uh, and assurance of the child is just really critical. You know, shame is the great silencer. It is the primary way in which children understand sexual violence when it happens to them, um, children will blame themselves. And so, um, you know, that non-judgmental listening um, and that affirmation of the child that nothing has changed. And kids are really worried they're going to get in trouble. They are really, really worried about that. Um, and so that's an, another really important piece of assurance is, you know, you're not going to get into trouble about this. Um, and then if you know, obviously that's a very serious child protection concern and it then needs to be escalated to child protection services. You know, a report needs to be made and there'll be um, different pathways to that depending uh, on what state or territory that you're in. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, what we can do for, for kids, but I think also for adult survivors is you know, we, we need to always be careful never to even inadvertently reaffirm that shame that they're feeling. And we need to be really clear, you know, in our own sort of listening to them and our own response to them that they're not to blame. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael, obviously prevention is better than trying to deal with the, the ways that that damage can present later in life. And Shannon in his book says protecting kids is everyone's job. How do we begin? There are so many opportunities to prevent child sexual abuse before it occurs. Shannon talked about the overlap between family violence and sexually harmful behaviour. That really is the most common factor when we look at kids who are using sexual violence. Overwhelmingly, those kids are very likely to come from families where they're witnessing violence and where they might be experiencing um, violence themselves. So, you know, when we talk about protecting women from violence, that's absolutely crucial. But in fact, you know, preventing domestic violence is also a very good way of preventing child sexual abuse and sexually harmful behaviour before it occurs. I think there's work to do on social norms. 
you know, we haven't really had a public conversation about the harms of child sexual abuse. We just assume that everyone agrees that child sexual abuse is harmful. That's really not the case. And I've just finished wow. a large, I've just finished a large scale survey of um, Australian men, and we've asked them um, a range of questions um, about, you know, whether or not they think abuse is harmful and in what circumstances. And we've asked them questions, you know, in this situation, do you think like the child might be to blame and so on? Because we're really testing what they really believe about child sexual abuse. And certainly we're coming across, you know, 20, 30% of men in the community who, you know, have got pretty ambiguous views about the harms of child sexual abuse. So there's absolutely, I think, a social norms and attitudes conversation to be had here. Um, and also, you know, how do we empower, how do we empower men and boys who have been sexually abused to speak up? How do we create services and environments that are friendly to men and boys and where we feel comfortable coming in and talking about things that we might be, you know, deeply uncomfortable with. Well, there's deep discomfort, but also a real hunger among a lot of people to make some change and make things safer. Our text line uh, seems to be representing that. Shannon's book is excellent. There's one so full of useful information. It's called You Made Me This Way, and the author is Shannon Malloy, one of our guests today. Another says, what sort of counselling do survivors receive? What about things like dissociative disorder? I don't think we've got time to go into the specifics here today, Associate Professor Michael Salter, but you were talking before about people kind of having a real generalised or perhaps quite problematic idea about the harms. How targeted are the support services to the specific needs of male survivors? Look, at the moment, the mental health system as a whole is not attuned to the needs of child sexual abuse survivors, whether they're male or female. It is an ongoing struggle for adult survivors of child sexual abuse to get access to effective therapy. And I want to be really clear that we know what works for survivors of child sexual abuse. We have very good evidence about the different forms of treatment that we can deliver to sexual abuse survivors to ameliorate psychological distress and improve quality of life. Even for sexually abused children, um, in substantiated cases where there, there are convictions, those kids can end up on waiting lists for specialist treatment of a year, of 18 months. You know, there is a massive, massive gap in the Australian mental health response, full stop, uh, when it comes to uh, the effects of sexual abuse. And this is something that needs to be urgently addressed at a national level. Our guest today, Associate Professor Michael Salter, Scientia Research Fellow at the University of New South Wales School of Social Sciences, and Shannon Malloy, author of You Made Me This Way, which is such a powerful book about the impacts this can have, but also a lot about the ways that the right support can help people. Uh, Shannon, you write that you know nothing can fix this damage for survivors. They can't take it away. But what do you hope for from this book, from sharing your own and other stories? It's, I guess, first and foremost, I hope that, that it gives hope. Uh, you know, the title is confronting and the topic matter is heavy. But what I found, both from my own personal experience, but the experiences of men, is that asking for help and getting help works. You know, it's no one, no one, I think, dealing with any kind of trauma is going to wake up one day and be 100% cured. Um, but but we can get to a place where we cope and, and we cope well. Um, and we learn strategies to get through the odd bad day or the rough week. Um, and, and these men who've done that, who I've met and myself as well, um, live wonderful, thriving lives. I think like everybody, we, we have 
have rough patches, but we're in a place where because of, of treatment, because of getting help, um, we can we can live great lives. And I hope that that's the message that um, anyone reading this book, regardless of what they're going through, but particularly men who are sexually abused as boys, um, takes away a little bit of hope. I hope so too. Shannon Malloy, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Shannon Malloy's book is called You Made Me This Way. It's out today. Associate Professor Michael Salter, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. And the helplines I mentioned earlier, Brave Hearts, they provide counselling and support for child sexual abuse. That number, 1800 272 831. And Survivors and Mates Support Network, they help male survivors in particular and their loved ones. And that number is 1800 472 676. You'll find them on the Life Matters website too later today. I'll end with a text from Stephen in Tasmania. As a survivor of childhood sexual and physical abuse by my teacher and Christian brother myself, it's the trust or mistrust that plagues you for the rest of your life. It's the physical and emotional shame. It's the anger that never quite dissipates. It's the sexual and social hang-ups, even with those who genuinely love you, says Stephen, that you'd never get over. And all of that means you don't get the most out of the rest of your life afterwards. This is ABCRN Life Matters. <clears throat> Thank you so much for your text today. It's it's great that you feel that this is a space you can share those stories with us. Now, up next, a lot of people are bracing themselves to try to refinance their home loan, try and wrestle that debt to the ground a bit. When is refinancing worth it?